Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. A short time ago, we spoke about managing breastfeeding when going back to work. We focused on the birthing mother's perspective for majority of the episode, which was great. Um, we touched a little bit on the support of a partner back then. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the partner support in breastfeeding in more depth. But I'm not going to be doing that alone because I have no experience whatsoever. So joining us today is pediatric specialist, family health dietitian and lactation consultant, Nicole Bando. How are you going today, Nicole? I'm very well. Thank you, Dina. Thank you for having me on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad that we got to speak about this today and got to explore a little bit more about the partner's perspective as to how to manage breastfeeding. Because I know there's, I mean, there seems to be not a lot of support that they can give in terms of the physical act of breastfeeding. However, the emotional act is always there and the supportive role sort of plays a bit more of a part in the process itself partner support is just so integral to best breastfeeding and I can't wait to take a deep dive into this. Um, there's so much that partners can actually do, even though mums are the ones that are actually feeding the babies. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Now, Nicole, you've been working as a clinical dietitian for more than 15 years in Melbourne. 20 now. Yeah, 20. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so you did that before focusing on lactation and family feeding was there a connection between the two different areas that really inspired the change in focus? Uh, Dina, this actually goes back to my own study as a dietitian, as a baby dietitian, when I was um, in lectures of nutrition across the lifespan. And my now mentor, Evelyn Volders, was lecturing about breastfeeding in this subject. And my mind was just blown. I just was so amazed at how miraculous um breastfeeding seemed for, for babies and for mothers. Um, I then went and pursued a, cl a clinical dietetics career at, at one of Melbourne's largest metropolitan hospitals. And then when I had my own children, I decided that I wanted to, to move away from that really sort of chronic disease um, situation and focus more on family nutrition and pediatric nutrition. And I breastfed my babies. So it felt had felt at the time like one of the most challenging yet rewarding experiences of my life. So I decided to undertake training as a breastfeeding counsellor uh, with the Australian Breastfeeding Association and did that, went on the national helpline, um, helping mums having breastfeeding challenges. And I just had this, I just needed to know more and more and more. So uh, in the background, I had a practice, I'd started in private practice as a family health dietitian and undertaken paediatric training um, at the Royal Children's Hospital here in Melbourne. 
And then I decided to undertake the additional study and the international exam to become a lactation consultant. So I've been an LC now for five years and I've found that the intersection and the, the, the two professions actually are so beautifully um, suited uh, because they, they often combine in a consultation. So it allows me to bring some different depths to my consultation. Uh, yeah, no, it sounds, there seems like there is a huge connection between how your diet is when breastfeeding. Because there's, I mean, there's still a lot of rules when it comes to breastfeeding that, okay, there's certain things that you shouldn't eat and there's certain um, times that lactation needs to come, needs to happen. And so there seems to be a huge connection between how important your diet and managing your diet is. Well, a woman's diet is important during breastfeeding, but breast breast milk is production is is fairly robust. Um, a woman's requirements when she is breastfeeding are elevated compared to normal, um, and specifically with certain nutrients. But it's actually, if we think about, well, what is breastfeeding and breast milk? It's the first nutrition, so it it's what helps babies to grow and develop ideally um, in all forms. So in terms of strengthening optimal best kind of best practice nutrition, breastfeeding is it. Uh, so it sort of sets the foundation for a, a healthy family from the very beginning and that's what I, I just love about my job, that I get to be there right at the very beginning in that very vulnerable, precious phase, helping families with a rock-solid foundation mm-hmm. for health and well-being. So. Yeah, no, it's it's also incredible the fact that you also experienced it yourself. So I think adding that little element of, okay, I know what this feels like. I know um, what kind of support you needed throughout your time of breastfeeding as well. So there's that uh, really practice what you preach kind of aspect of it, which makes it even more, which is why you're probably the perfect person to sort of talk about it today on the partner support and the emotional connection needed between the partners in terms of throughout the first vulnerable years of a child's life and also the first family's life as well. That's right. Um, Absolutely. And I think going through it myself and having children, my children are now 11 and 13 years old, um, it it really brings a different perspective to my clinical practice uh, and different empathy, I suppose. So my support is always very much meeting a mum and a partner, meeting a family where they're at. No, I and I can't wait to dive into that a little bit more. But before we do, we're going to focus a little bit more on you and getting to know you as a person rather than you just as a specialist in the subject. Um, so when I say these um, little icebreaker prompts, uh, just say the first thing that sort of comes to your head. Um, we've given you to uh, given this to you before behind the scenes and before off camera, so you have a little bit time to prepare for it, um, just to avoid little mishaps we've done the first time round. Um, so yeah, just say the first thing that sort of comes to your head. Okay, so the first one is a favorite book of yours. Oh, a favorite book. I sort of looked at the word book and I thought, my first thought was, I've got seven next to my bed, which feels a little bit overwhelming. And it's a mixture of novels and parenting books. 
one currently about raising a teen boy and a tween girl and uh, another novel that's on the bestseller New York Times list, The Lost Apothecary. I can't can't say it properly. Um, I wish I had more time. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) No, seven books seems very normal to me. In my household, there is a need to constantly have a book with them. (laughs) I think I have one book in my bag at the moment and one book on my phone. Yeah. So there is always a constant need to be able to reach out for something that's I definitely agree. away from technology. I agree. I agree. I'm lost without a book. Yeah, same. <laughs> I think I reread books more than I actually read new books, which is... Okay, that's a good idea. It's cheaper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. But I'm also behind on the time, so... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. That's a good thing about books. True. Um, the next one is movie. Oh, I saw last year Where the Crawdads Sing and that was a really beautiful and true adaptation of the book, which I loved. Uh, And also my now husband took me to see that on the day that he proposed, so holds special meaning. (laughs) Oh, that's really nice. No, I haven't read the book for um, Where the Crawdads Sing yet, but I saw the movie and I feel like there is – Apparently people are saying there's a good, it's a good adaptation. There's not really much that they're sort of taking away from the book and the elements are sort of in it, which are great. Yes, you can't say that often, I think, when they adapt a a movie, you know, a book into a movie. I agree. Yes. No, that's that's amazing. I'm glad that they did it that way. Um, The next one is podcast. Oh, you know what? I get really overwhelmed by all the podcasts that are out there. I sort of start to feel like I need to listen to everything and I don't have enough time. But my focus on the moment is ABC. I find especially Parental as Anything has been my go-to with Maggie Dent, just for practical bite-sized parenting tips, both for myself and that I can also speak with patients about too. No, I um, I love the way that the ABC does their podcasts and I think um for me to be doing that it seems it's probably the ideal job it's the ideal way of doing a podcast because it's so informative in a way that gets you to want to learn about something it's not just you're sitting there reading a book or sitting there you're having a real life experience which is I think also the great thing about podcasts yes I agree I agree uh, the next one is a famous role model. So I, I'm also um, preferencing ABC again, Australian female journalists, uh, Sarah Ferguson and also Lee Sales, and, uh, because I just think that they're tirelessly asking the hard questions to shine a light on the truth. And I think that takes strength. Yes. No, I... I happened to, um, I did an internship with ABC a little while ago and I got to meet the both of them, which was amazing amazing. experience. (laughs) It was just to see them in action as well and to watch them and to see how they plan things out was incredible. So that was definitely an experience. There was, I think, one, one episode where they had just a huge binder of one for one episode of notes. And that is is incredible to see how they take that and how they sort of plan it out. And I mean, it's not just them, obviously, of course, there's going to be researchers entailed in it, but just how they take that information and use it 
for an episode or use it for a story and how they sort of take that in. They tell a story. Yeah, they're able yeah. to tell a story that makes sense to us. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way we would look at that binder and think, okay, there's a mystery in there. Yes, that's right. And the last one is a course that you've completed. Yeah, so I think for me this was the Certificate of Breastfeeding Counselling with the Australian Breastfeeding Association because the method of counselling that I learnt through that has had the most profound impact on my entire nutrition and lactation practice and I really believe my ability to help my patients because it changed my approach from very much a go and do this, you know, sort of prescriptive approach, which is what we get taught or what I got taught 20 years ago, it's probably changed as health professionals to uh, really counselling someone to come to a decision that works best for them and meeting them where they're at. Now that sounds, it sounds like a very great approach to learning as well, rather than just, here's a book, this is what you're supposed to do. And then you have a test at the end of it. Like it seems like a very um, put into practice approach, which is great. It's more effective. (laughs) Yes. No, I think you learn a lot more that way. I think a majority of people learn that way. It's a whole lot better. Yes, that's right. Um, So now we're talking about parenting and we're talking about, I mean, joining us on the parenting show, talking about parenting, not so unexpected. Um, But I know that everyone's definition of parenting is very different. I think everyone has a different sense as to who they are as a parent, who they want to be and how they see parents in action. So to you personally, what do you think the whole idea of parenting is? Oh, such a great question. So parenting is a lifelong journey of love and nurturing and raising a resilient and kind individual who one day you hope will be independent and won't need you anymore in the same way. It's really for me about this constant learning and growing and making so many mistakes and just hoping that my that that my children turn out okay regardless. Um, it's having the grounds constantly shift beneath your feet as our children and as and as we encounter new face, phases and challenges in life. Because I believe that parents are born alongside their children and therefore need to grow and mature and learn as their children do. So we're all learning together, and none of us have. Um, we encounter new experiences all the time. So parenting is also the process of reparenting yourself and looking in the mirror at your own strengths and weaknesses so that you can do better for your child. This is all my my opinion of what it means. I'm parenting an 11 and 13-year-old now and I feel like the skill set that I need now is just so different to what they needed at one and three. So that's sort of the reason for all those books next to my bed as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I remember those ages. I remember being 11 and 13 fairly recently and those are really big ages. Those are monumental in terms of, I mean, not just for um, the child but for the parent as well. I remember my um, mum and dad sort of taking on me as an 11 to 13 year old and there was a huge different understanding as to what they needed to know and the things especially 
the way that technology is running nowadays and society is running nowadays, there's a huge different skill set, like you said, on to what is needed and who they're needing to be, whether they're needing to be a mentor or a supporter or um, a cheerleader, or sometimes they needed to be, um, they needed to run my life for a bit <laughs> in terms of what is right and what is wrong. But um, yeah, those are big ages to be going through. Uh, yes, yes. And uh, and I'm doing my best to be responsive to their ever-changing needs in this um new world of technology, which is, as you say, it's quite challenging and different, yeah, to what we've encountered before. Yes, no, I agree. Even I'm looking at technology now as a 25-year-old and I'm looking at it and just being like, okay, I'm still trying to keep up. I cannot imagine how parents are trying to keep up yes. with their kids when I'm barely able to keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> now, newly, new parents sort of deal with that different challenges, dealing with a infant or a newborn, what are some of the, what would you think that expectant parents need to be aware of in their transition to parenthood? Mm. I think in our society that there's a lot of focus on the pregnancy and not a lot necessarily about what happens after the baby arrives. And I think a shift in moving into that time and to have knowledge, um, obviously having knowledge about the pregnancy is really important but it feels a little bit like focusing on the wedding and not the marriage. And I think in our society, it's it's made difficult for new parents. It can be hard to live access to access information. We live very separately, often in silos, not necessarily around young children until we have our own. So I encourage parents to be, to learn as much as possible beforehand and during and in those early days and to really tap into local resources because there is a lot out there to do antenatal classes that focus on that um, postpartum or that after delivery period and to talk about what their own parenting beliefs between themselves and their wishes for their child. Learning about, and this can happen in some of these, the pregnancy classes and things, but it might be important to seek out other um, avenues of education, but learning about what's normal for newborn babies, how to set up the best support structures, what's in my local community, you know, Australian Breastfeeding Association groups, councils, libraries, lactation consultants, community health, and spending time with other babies and children if you can, um, or at local ABA groups as well is a good place to start. But I think also trying to block out too much noise is important because there's so much information out there. There's just so much that, uh, and not all of it's correct. So it's really finding the voices that speak to you and blocking the rest of the noise and looking at reputable channels of information. And I've got some resources we can go through a bit later and finding some trusted healthcare professionals uh, that you feel really comfortable with. And I think all of this helps with learning, well, what's realistic in this new period of life and what are the expectations around the first months of having a new baby at home and how intensive feeding, sleep and newborn behaviour can be uh, because I see many parents that are really surprised by that. You know, um, they just couldn't have anticipated it. Um, and I think it's a good starting point because that means facing challenges as soon as they arise rather than when they become bigger and, and harder to address. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the other thing that's really good to keep in mind is that each stage passes. The first three months are incredibly intense and really in the first year of a baby's life, they need responsive caregivers who are close by. Now, we're looking into a bit more on breastfeeding and focusing this episode as to how breastfeeding is sort of beneficial for both the partner and how it can be beneficial. Um, to you, what is the definition of breastfeeding? So breastfeeding is the act of feeding an infant or a baby human milk directly from the breast. Uh, breast milk is the ideal food for babies, according to the World, he- World Health Organization. It is safe, clean, and contains antibodies to protect against common childhood illnesses, and it provides all the nutrients that a baby needs in the first six months of life, and at least half of um, their nutrient requirements alongside solids in their second six months of life and beyond. Uh, Breastfeeding supports normal growth and development. It improves a baby's cognition, reduces risk of obesity, chronic disease, malnutrition, infectious diseases, and death. When a woman breastfeeds, her risk of breast and ovarian cancers and type 2 diabetes are reduced, and it was estimated by the 2016 Lancet series on breastfeeding that 800,000 infants, this is worldwide, and 20,000 women die every year because of not breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is the most sustainable way to feed babies and promotes environmental security. Now, there are specific benefits of feeding directly at the breast rather than breast milk via a bottle. It promotes facial, muscle and jaw development and teeth development that are later important in speech. And a baby at the breast can regulate their own intake, reducing risk of overweight and obesity later in life. The act of breastfeeding also promotes the release of oxytocin, known as the love hormone, in both mum and baby, and that promotes, uh, and also in the partner with skin-to-skin contact, um, and it promotes bonding as well as regulation of baby's heart rate and temperature. Breastfeeding is natural, but it is a learned skill and it takes time and support to master. So despite WHO recommendations to exclusively breastfeed until six months, then alongside solids introduction and until two years and beyond, Exclusive best breastfeeding rates in Australia are great at initiation, about 90%. They fall to 61.4% of babies in the first month, down to 39.2% by three months, and only 2.1% of babies are exclusively breastfed in Australia until six months. And that's because successful breastfeeding can be challenging. And though this can be overcome with education and support, Uh, government commitment and strategies required to promote and protect it. It's complicated. (laughs) No, it's it's not. The definition is always seems like I asked this the last episode that I did on breastfeeding and it seemed like such a stupid question to ask when in terms like you see the definition of breastfeeding, but we see it, we hear about it every day. We hear about it as a natural way of feeding a child, but there's so much more in-depth parts to it and so much more that we sort of neglect like the difference between feeding from the breast and feeding from the bottle are two completely different ways of feeding a child and then and then you bring in um, baby formula along with it and that becomes a whole other argument so there's a whole different way Um, we're not going to get into the baby formula part because I know that there's a huge 
controversial issue going along with it. But just in terms of the different ways that a child is fed, and that sort of brings in why it's so important to know the benefits, know the differences, and know the um, the different ways that an infant needs food and needs sustenance in order to grow and develop in ways that you just mentioned. That's right. And I think that it's so much beyond the individual parent or uh, parents as well. You know, this is a whole systems approach that's important um, to provide parents to be with the support that they need. No, exactly. And I think with the resources that we'll talk about a little later on that you have as well, I think would be a great insight into the support that can be can be attained. So in what ways are breastfeeding and parenting really linked into each other other than the ways that you mentioned a little earlier? Mm. Well, I guess that breastfeeding is is only one aspect of being a parent and that's really helpful for partners to know as well as mums who have tried really hard but really struggled to breastfeed, that breastfeeding is one aspect of parenting, but it's not all of it. So inability to breastfeed doesn't detract from an ability to parent at all. And I think it's important to really tease that out. But I guess that's what what makes it so difficult is that an emotional and, and so, so many layers to this is it's often the first act that a mother can do for her child. And in that way, breastfeeding is inexplicably linked with breastfeeding as she can feed and uh, parent her baby according to their cues, but it's not all of parenting either. And I think it's important that we recognize that so that we can provide the support needed for new parents wherever they're at. Now, talking about supportive partners, what does it entail to be a supportive partner in the context of breastfeeding? Yes, yeah, so I, uh, when I think of the word partner, I'm thinking that it could be defined as a male or same sex or the infant's father or another key person in the mother's life, such as a grandmother or a close friend. And in a recent system, well, not that recent, um, 2013 systematic review by Mitchell Box and Braun, they concluded that partner support in breastfeeding has a positive impact on the initiations at the beginning of breastfeeding the exclusivity, so breastfeeding only rather than introducing any other form of um, nutrition or hydration, and the duration of breastfeeding, so the amount of time that that baby was breastfed for. And I often refer to this as the breastfeeding triad. So we've got mum, partner, and baby. And the concept here is teamwork, because if the partner can be responsive in their support, for example, by helping mum to overcome challenges that she's facing. This is really effective support because it has sensitivity to the mother's needs. Education is really important here too because breastfeeding is really time-consuming in the early days. And it doesn't stay like that forever, but in the early days it can take at least eight hours or more of the mum's time to be breastfeeding. It's like a full-time job and then you've got looking after the baby on top of it. So Partners can be really supportive in so many ways, including their language, their actions, how they talk about their partner's breastfeeding with friends and family and the supportive language that they might use there. They, The systematic review also concluded there were different types of support. So there was practical um, support such as spending lots of quality time with the new baby and settling and changing nappies, giving baths, skin-to-skin contact, 
as well as the domestic duties and cooking and laundry and all of that stuff that comes with with being a new parent and also even taking the baby out for a walk so that mum might rest and this means all of these things mean that the partner is actually doing lots for the baby and bonding with their new child and can be involved right from day one whilst also supporting her mum the mother to spend her time and energy on establishing and consolidating breastfeeding. So in terms of the way that the partner supports the mother or the supports the birthing partner, what kind what types of support can a partner really offer in relation to breastfeeding? Because I know they like we said earlier, they can't do the official act of breastfeeding in, in a lot of ways, but there are some other ways that you, like, for example, bottle feeding and also just being the emotional um, support to the birthing mother. Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting one. In in terms of feeding, it really depends on how that baby's being fed. If If the baby's being fed exclusively at the breast, then I encourage partners to think about everything else they can do. So the settling and the cuddling and reading stories and singing and nappy changing and skin to skin contact with their baby and wearing their baby in a sling, taking their baby for a walk and doing a nighttime routine. You know, they're all things that partners can do with their babies that are not necessarily associated with feeding, but are actually, you know, all of the care that babies need as well. Um, if, sure, if there is mixed feeding, then they can, partners can participate in, in doing some of that um, also, and they should be shown how to do that uh, effectively too. But I think talking about everything, you know, being really open about what what are each uh, partner's feelings or parents' feelings about breastfeeding and parenting, because it really comes from their families of origin and their own experiences, and it can be quite profound and really good to shine a light on well, what are your thoughts about this and what are mine and how are we going to support each other if they're a bit different? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think recognising that their partner's body has been through a lot and is still going through a lot of change and nurturing her by physically, whether it's propping her up with pillows and a footrest and a comfy chair for feeding and healthy food and drink so that she can feed, uh, practically by coming along to appointments to learn and hear everything that the health professionals are saying so that the partner can actually remember those details in the middle of the night when when everyone's a bit tired. And I think that positive reinforcement of of their partner by acknowledging the amazing work she's doing by breastfeeding and growing this baby. So I've, in my personal experience, seen some wonderful partners who are really fantastic information gatherers and they come along with pens and papers and they write everything down. Um, and I've similarly seen partners struggle when expectations are quite different. So appreciating that it's a time of massive change and adjustment for the relationship and it can that can be quite challenging for new parents. And I've also had a lot of women say that they feel really touched out by the end of the day because they've had a baby on them for most of the day that they've been feeding and uh, they they might not feel like they want to be physically close with their partners. And I think that's it's challenging. It's also very natural and keeping communication lines open and patience are really important between parents to overcome this time because it will pass. Mm-hmm. Closeness can mean a cuddle, a massage, hand-holding, a quiet conversation, or even just having dinner together. So the relationship will strengthen and grow with this adaptation, but it takes a lot of time and patience and just open communication. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's the big, like, for me, I've seen a lot of, talked to a lot of different specialists in different areas in terms of parenting. And the open communication and the close communication is, seems to be the one that protrudes through all of these different areas. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Absolutely. amazing just how much, like, how much it seems like an easy thing to do, but it's in the actual act of like, okay, I need to talk to you about something is really difficult to be able to do. Um, especially when you're trying to keep that closeness, like you talked about with your partner and trying to be, um, try not to neglect either one of you in terms of what your relationship needs. Right. And we all come along with our different experiences and opinions and, um, and here we are as new parents needing to come together and uh, decide on something also. Yes, exactly. I think that would be the hardest thing, especially raising a child, the different ways that the child is raised, the different ways that um, like you want to let one parent wants to let the baby cry and let them sort of self-soothe the other ones. Okay, no, let's go and pick them up and just sort of in a way coddle them a little bit more into them just sort of calming down and you being there for them. So there's that huge different ways of parenting that I think each parent does differently. That's right. And also often partners might feel like they'd like to um, help. They don't like seeing their partner distressed. So if there are breastfeeding challenges, say mum has really sore nipples, for example, it can be a really easy fix for the partner to say, well, why don't you stop breastfeeding? And we, we start bottle feeding However, that may not necessarily be supportive if the mum is determined to breastfeed. So it's really more like, well, how can we overcome this together? Where do we need to go to get help? Where can we get the information? What do you need so that we can overcome this situation? Uh, so it's, it's learning different tools, I think. No, exactly. Like speaking of that, what are some specific strategies or even some techniques that you could recommend for partners to create a supportive and nurturing environment for breastfeeding? Yeah, well, I actually think it starts in pregnancy. So it can be during pregnancy that uh, that the partner's actually singing to <laughs> to the baby in mum's um, in mum's tummy. And so that the partner gets used to the uh, the baby gets used to the partner's uh, voice. I would say learn as much as possible beforehand. You know, this key thing that I kept that keeps coming up in the literature, but in my experience also is knowledge. You don't have to know everything, but it's helpful to know where to go for the help when you need it. And the more that you know, the more equipped you are for when challenges arise, which they will, 100% they will, right? It's just how we navigate them. So learning as much as possible beforehand and making space so that when baby arrives, the three of you can learn about breastfeeding. So the partner can really act as a bit of a gatekeeper to visitors and well-meaning friends and family and just really uh, know that the early days after a baby is born is this time of incredibly rapid brain development for the baby and the bub is learning about parents' smells and voices as well as how to learn to feed. Um, so partners can create a really quiet and relaxed space to help that establishment of early feeding and manage uh, visitors. And it's also a time when parent-infant attachments are, for, are first establishing. So coming back to that concept that the parents have also just been born alongside their child. So not to be afraid to put the needs of the family first and that well-meaning friends and family can 
can probably wait a little bit longer uh, to get to know your new arrival. And then the practical things would be taking as much leave as possible from work, completing chores at home, such as shopping, cooking, laundry, cleaning, and just not being afraid to call in the village. You were not meant to do this on our own. And we've our society's evolved, well, I don't know, evolved, but we, we're in silos. So we're, we're very much in our own independent um, places where we used to be more in a village. And um, I think that makes it harder with, with parenting. So don't be afraid to ask for help, uh, ask for meals, ask for, for support and offering lots of encouragement because like I said, breastfeeding is natural, but it's a learnt skill and it takes time for mum and baby to master. So patience and support are really vital and remembering any information from classes uh, that the partners attended as well and seeking help early. Also in the literature, it talks about learning as much as you can about feeding. So common challenges, what's normal and when to get help. If you feel like something's not right, get help. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's small, it's nothing's too small. And this means that you a partner can be the best support when things arise and, you know, taking things like photos, um, taking photos of the breastfeeding mum and recording those precious memories. I think, I think I love the last one. I think we neglect the taking the memories and sort of just sharing that um, just even amongst the both of you, just having that uh, thing that you keep just to remember those little days. I think I love that last suggestion because it's something that we don't really mention that much is not something that we see as huge significance, but later on down the track, it would be like a huge, the biggest, one of the biggest ways that you can sort of commemorate the, um, the joy between the both of you as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. And those little milestones, those little moments are really what it's all about. That's the joy. That's where we need to find it. Yes, no, exactly. Now looking into the importance in the partner support, Can you share some of your insights as to why it's important for a partner to support in breastfeeding and how they contribute to a positive breastfeeding journey? Absolutely. So it's actually vital to have a partner's support towards breastfeeding success. And this impacts directly whether a woman breastfeeds at all and or for how long. So one study showed that when fathers were provided with education before their baby arrived about breastfeeding challenges, Mothers who then encountered challenges were nearly five times more likely to still be breastfeeding at six months, which is really quite powerful, isn't it? In another study, the the mothers were 1.8 times more likely to breastfeed if her partner had been to a two-hour presentation about breastfeeding support. So not, not necessarily a lot of information, but a huge amount of power. So when a partner has knowledge about breastfeeding, it also means that they're accepting the level of commitment which can be quite a shock to new parents. So not just the time, but the emotional investment and possibly, and I'm going to be really careful how I say this, it can be a financial impact to the home if uh, the mum may need to take extended leave in order to be able to breastfeed. However, on a global scale, there is a magnificent tool called the Mother's Milk Tool that estimates the monetary value and contribution of breast milk and breastfeeding made by a woman and in terms of what she's contributing to society by breastfeeding her baby. It's incredible. So a partner can reinforce the importance of this role and the relationship can be strengthened in this way. And 
we need to come back to those earlier facts and remember that this has a profound impact on the health of both the mother and the baby over the course of their whole lives. Wow. That, no, that's it's amazing just how much, how important the partner actually is in terms of the journey. I think we sort of underestimate when we see a mother and a baby, we sort of expect that's what that's their journey. That's something that they do. But we sort of neglect that important of why it's important to have that partner there and why it's important to even the emotional, I think the emotional aspect to it, um, just saying, okay, I understand that you've been under a lot of stress. I Just having that person who's cheering you on constantly. That's right. That's right. It's such teamwork. It's uh, in my consultations, I, I'm I like both parents to be there. It's great when I get to meet a parent, parents in the pregnancy, but when they come after, I want both of them there and I want to show the partner, look, this is what we're doing and why. Can you see what your baby's doing now? Um, this is how you can help your partner. Let's take some photos. Let's, you know, all of that stuff because they really are vital. No, it's, it's amazing. And we spoke about this a little earlier when it takes to – a village to also raise a child. What are some of the cultural, even societal factors that may influence the partner support in breastfeeding? Oh, there's so much here. You know, I, I think the tip of the iceberg I, I will touch here. Um, I wanted to touch on, I guess, the cultural factors in, in, in Western society that the breast is actually highly sexualized. So it's... Uh, Breastfeeding is not normalised. We don't see a lot of women breastfeeding out in public and um, our culture actually involves separating mums and babies and um, imposing routines and feeding schedules and kind of telling us what we should do and what babies should do and and they're all a little bit out of sync with what a baby's physiological needs are when they first arrive into this world. So if we look at this as breastfeeding actually is the norm but in our culture it's not necessarily the norm this can impact a partner's viewpoint of what's normal in terms of feeding a baby and what to expect. Uh, there is, I mean, so many cultures around the world, but for example, I was looking at some data that groups in Papua New Guinea and the Gogo tribe of Tanzania believe in celibacy whilst breastfeeding. So a woman in that circumstance might feel that she needs to choose between breastfeeding and satisfying her husband. So that can be, you know, that relationship can be really difficult. And then there was a study of 120 cultures that showed that 50 believed that the first milk or the colostrum, which we know is rich in really vital nutrients and anti-infective properties, is dirty and therefore the breast should be withheld from the infant in the first days of feeding. So, And in some cultures, formula is seen as superior or equal to breast milk. So all of these factors can impact a woman's desire to breastfeed as well as um, her partner's support and what the partner's belief systems are. I think it's really important here that health professionals understand the cultures that they're dealing with and how the information will be received and be really sensitive and avoid imposing our beliefs onto someone from a different culture and refrain from stereotyping as well. In terms of Western culture, I think what we can do here in Australia, you know, ongoing policy and education and strengthening legislation around the marketing of infant formula can help to overcome some of these barriers. And providing accessible education, not just for parents to be, but to kids during school, so that breastfeeding is seen as this is how this is how babies are fed. This is normal. Um, 
and support before and after delivery as well. And health professionals need more breastfeeding training and understanding of different cultures to support new families. In terms of society, I, like you touched on, Dina, it can be there can be a real tendency for health professionals to address the mother only. And this really can leave the partner just to be feeling really left out or not useful at all. And it's really important that health professionals treat the family as a single unit. And that's important in antenatal classes as well as appointments up to leading up to and after the birth. Dads can go through a really challenging time in the adjustment to parenthood. And it's now being more well recognized that Dads, oh, sorry, partners can struggle with perinatal anxiety and depression and difficult emotions. And Panda are doing some fantastic work to raise some awareness around that. I was reading their information in pre- preparation for today. So dads are vital in their new baby's lives. They need to, sorry, partners, uh, um, partners are vital in their new baby's lives and it can be a challenging time for new uh, for partners as there are many, there can be lots of stereotypes out there as to how they should behave or what their role should be. And it can be hard to reach out for support. There can be stigma associated with that. So partners really need a space to speak about what they're feeling and going through. And if they're struggling with sadness or anxiety alongside the mother, uh, either way, it's really important to reach out for early help from their GP uh, and also facilities such as Panda. Yeah, I think we neglect the partner support. We don't really hear about that often enough in terms of, I mean, not just breastfeeding, but the whole child journey, the whole baby journey. We sort of see the one side of the parent being a lot more into it than the other side of the parenting. And it's it's very interesting to see, um, I mean, not just this episode, but we've talked about it in so many other episodes in terms of it's always on one perspective. And it's always on one side's perspective. That's right. But I think what what's really lovely about what's happened in recent years, though, is that partners have become a lot more hands-on and involved and uh, able to take parental leave when perhaps they weren't before. So I'm, we're certainly seeing a shift in the society that uh, parents are often taking more respons- you know, equal responsibility or there's just more involvement at home, whereas you know, certainly when I was growing up and and many years ago, that just wasn't the case. Um. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I It's weird for me to feel even comfortable. I think now growing up, now that I'm a bit older, it's really interesting to have those conversations with some of my male friends and some of my friends' husbands who are also talking about their child journey and the fact that they are the ones taking the photos and having that memorabilia on their phone. It's really interesting. It's really nice to sort of see how comfortable they're becoming. That's really positive. That's a positive side, isn't it? Yes. There are still some negative people who don't really, some other negative sides where people don't really want to talk about it. And I mean, it, like it's like you said, it's, it is a personal preference. It is a preference as to not wanting to talk about it so often or open, open the conversation about it with outside of their family circle, which is understandable. But I think in terms of where they're at, it's really interesting to see how much we're talking about now the partner's support mm. in the journey. And it can be challenging. I think there's lots of support from from mothers and 
um, to speak about their challenges, but there's still stigma associated with with partners at times yes. doing that, particularly men. What are some of the misconceptions surrounding partner involvement that can be addressed today in breastfeeding? Well, I think like we were saying, it can often be seen as only within the realms of women, though with organisations like the Australian Breastfeeding Association and PANDA and the change in society that we're seeing with more partners being hands-on, excuse me, at home, uh, that many have also access to perhaps more parental leave, that hopefully this is gradually shifting and changing. And I often hear from my patients that their partners would like to be involved with feeding and they don't know how. And I encourage them to really think about how partners can be involved in all of those other ways that we've discussed. And that remembering that uh, solids feeding is a few short months, you know, six six months away, which goes by like that. And they can be really involved in, in that side of things down the track. I, I think it's also important, uh, like I mentioned, to raise awareness that this can this can be a challenging time for partners, and our language needs to be more inclusive, such as parents groups rather than mothers groups, or parenting, shared care uh, that that can be helpful as well. But I still think it's common for partners to feel uncertain about their role. But if they knew that they could be so actively involved from day one and understand how vital they are in the care of their new baby, including breastfeeding, even though they're not physically doing the, the feeding, that's a really great start. No, I, I love the idea of changing it from mother's groups to parenting groups because you even think about it, there still exists the single dad area who need that support, who don't really have a lot of people to talk to. So when you say when you, they're joining a mother's group, it feels such a very um, societal thing where we're set on, a, okay, this is where mothers are meant to go. This is not where single dads can join in and sort of get the same support. Um, I think there's a lot of films when they sort of have that inclusivity now. And like I think I was watching a film. I completely forgot the name of it now, but um, it was a Kevin Hart film and he's a single dad now and raising his child and he's joining mother's groups because he doesn't know how to tie a diaper, how to manage that. So there is that huge inclusivity now where it's showing the fact that society is having those battles. That's so, right. Or families where there are two dads, for example. Exactly. Or, yeah. That's, there's all different types of families. Uh yeah, so our, our language and our inclusivity does need to change. And actually, the Australian Breastfeeding Association, they have lots of local groups for parents and they um, they welcome anyone, um, any parent to be or, or new parent as well. So they're very inclusive. So yeah. it's good to know. Yeah, mm. no, that is amazing. And that also, I'm going to keep saying this today, but it also ties into the next question, which is some of the resources that and tools that are available what are some of these resources that you're talking about a little bit earlier that are available for parents to explore their knowledge? So the Australian Breastfeeding Association, so they run breastfeeding education classes for expectant parents and I've been to those, I've run, been part of running those. They are fantastic in what they cover, so practical. They're all over the country. Uh, they also have a wealth of information available online and they have local uh, groups all over Australia that a couple can attend during pregnancy as well as after delivery. 
for the ABA, membership is reasonable and it provides additional resources and funds, helps to fund the National Breastfeeding Helpline. So that's another resource. That's a 24-hour mum-to-mum helpline Australia-wide that is run by trained breastfeeding counsellors. And, you know, to be, I've been on the other end of that phone to a distressed mum and sometimes, often, a parent or, or, you know, or a partner that's called and said, I don't know what to do, my partner's going through all of this. The reassurance that can be provided on the other end of the phone is so powerful for a parent in, in, in that moment. So that's a wonderful support. The number is 1800 686 268. There are also lactation consultants that it's great to see before um, the baby arrives or otherwise through the hospital, local council or um, privately and often they'll do home visits. So depending on location and what you're um, able to access. Uh, government websites such as the Raising Children Network, they've got lots of great articles. And Panda is a great support for mental health for new parents with new babies. Okay. And they have a helpline as well. So that's one 726 306. And the other one I really like is Possums Online for Parents. So that's evidence-based feeding, neurodevelopmental and sleep information for parents. And it's just that message again about choosing trusted sources of information rather than sitting on Google in the early hours of the morning or um, going down that rabbit hole and choosing trusted voices that speak to you, that fit in with your instincts and give the same message because unfortunately conflicting information is really quite common even amongst very well-meaning health professionals. Mm-hmm. So going into the next question, which is some of the advice that you would give partners who want to be actively involved in supporting their breastfeeding journey. Yeah, so reach out. You, you're not alone and look for the resources by organisations such as Panda and the ABA and there are so many suggestions. So connect with your baby in utero whilst they're, whilst uh, partner's still pregnant. Sing, massage your partner's belly. Have low once the baby's born. Have lots of skin to skin time to release oxytocin in both the partner and the baby to help baby regulate heart rate, temperature, um, increase bonding between the parent, the parent and baby. Partners can do kangaroo care, which is carrying their babies in a sling spend lots of time with their new baby, with singing, cuddling, playing with age-appropriate toys, having a great nighttime routine that's just the partner and baby, bathing, nappy changing, settling, making lots and lots of eye contact as the baby's brain is rapidly developing and talking to baby. So this all actually creates a beautiful positive attachment. Attend classes together and appointments after the baby arrives and discuss decisions, no matter how small or big, together about the care of your baby and ask your partner what she she needs to feel supported as well. Okay. And this going in to our practice and habit part of the show, what are some of the practices that you can recommend to parents in order to support their partner and ensure they're having a good positive journey? So I think that aspect of being involved, being involved from the word go, and it's never too late if if you're a, a new partner, a new parent, and you haven't been as in, involved early on, that you can get involved anytime um, in every aspect of baby's arrival, including breastfeeding knowledge. Um, talk about your feelings and hopes as a, as a new parent. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are three of the good things about going through this practice? Well, it's that open communication and involvement so that it means that problems are dealt with as they arise rather than snowballing and becoming much larger. It's about knowing where to seek help, which is empowering as well. And starting the new life phase as a team is such a great foundation for parenthood as well, such a strong way to begin. And sort of in contrast to that, what are some of the challenges that sort of may arise going through this practice? Yeah, so it may still not be common practice for partners to be actively involved and this can attract comments and criticism from um, from uh, family and friends, but we know from research that it works and new parenthood is a challenging time. It is a major adjustment and things will come up that require support from health professionals, friends and family. And... I think, oh, you know, I'm sorry I've covered that. That's it. Okay. Now, how do you think that this practice impacts a parenting, just impacts your parenting and also the perception in life? Mm. Oh, you know, being a responsive and involved parent is just so rewarding in what you get back. You know, what you put in, you just get back in bucketfuls and, and huge amounts and so it strengthens the bond between you and your baby and partner and it creates a really strong foundation for a healthy family. So promoting the breastfeeding relationship has lifelong benefit for the mother, the baby, the economy and the planet. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> no, that is that is very cool. That is, It's very interesting to see just the impact that it has on not only directly the impact on the mother and the child, but also everyone around them as well. It's amazing to see how impactful this journey sort of goes and the sort of connections that you build along the way with it comes to um, birthing classes, when it comes to going into your professional practice and learning about it from GPs a bit more, just sort of the connections that can be built mm. from the experience. That's true. And and it's building new connections around you, you know, new friends and contacts and people going through the same thing and they can help to support you and you can support each other and find like-minded people to share the experience with too. No, exactly. Yeah. Now, based on that experience, do you have any other recommendations of practice to be combined or even improved with this particular practice? So... I think um, probably just the education piece again. So seeking out the information, the families that I see thrive have actively sought the information and research confirms that education before birth um, as well as after positively impacts breastfeeding outcomes. But I think also it's important to acknowledge that some parents are going are doing this alone. You know, they're single parenting. They don't have the support of partners. And I'd recommend that any chosen close adult could be a supportive partner. So it could be a friend, a, a grandparent or another relative. And, and it's really important to set up those contacts and supports if, if you are a single parent. Now, this ties in nicely with our open mic section. It gives you a chance to talk about anything that you are passionate about. Um, sort of a direct contact between you and the audience. So in the last minute or so, I'd love to give you the chance to directly talk to our audience. Okay, thank you. I was thinking about this and 
considering and in my own experience too that I think that today's parents, and this is part of the topic and part of the work that I do, they're just under so much pressure, right, you know, to to do to get everything right, to be everything to their kids. Uh, I think that we have so many inputs from social media and the internet and um, social media means that we're viewing a bit of a distorted world as to when people put up with their filters, what's happening in their families. It can make us feel like we're maybe not doing um, a good enough job. And I I really, this is a really um, passionate thing for me that I, I feel like parents, we're doing our best and we can't be perfect because that's not possible and it's not healthy to try and aim for that, um, but that we should try to be a good enough parent and that we should also be kind to ourselves. So part of that is self-care as a parent because there's just so much constantly, um, but we need to be caring for ourselves so that we can care for our children. And I work with the families I work with. I talk a lot about let's put our own oxygen mask on let's look at what we can do to take down the pressures. Do we need to reduce some of our social media exposure or choose the sites that we're looking at? Um, how does it make us feel when we're looking at those um, images and things? And know that you know, it takes a few eggs to make an omelette, like we'll make a few mistakes, um, but hopefully ones that we can pick ourselves up and, and, and keep going and in, in turn teach resilience to our kids and that we are everything to our kids, but we're not everything. You know, they have extended families and friends and supports and um, peers and they can have mentors and um, so many uh, so much other rich input into their lives so for me we need to just take the pressure down a little bit no that is a perfect piece of advice and also a perfect way to sort of end the show and sum up pretty much how a lot of parents are feeling. I think even not parents, even I sort of felt a little bit emotional when it came to that, because especially with the whole social media aspect and the idea of you see family vloggers and you see them daily showing about what their everyday life is. It seems so unrealistic in terms of, okay, the you have like 10 kids and somehow your house just looks amazing. Like the it's definitely not realistic and we all know it no. isn't, but somehow yeah. we feed it into our brain that it, okay, why am yeah. you like that? And we sort of feel that connection to it. So, That's right. It's normal to compare, isn't it? Yeah. But it's, yeah Even when yeah. we know it's not true, which is the mm. weirdest thing of how our brain works. I know. I know. But to be aware of that and then to sort of say, well, they use filters and maybe they have staff and maybe they're paying people to do things and maybe they're spending more time um videoing and looking good than looking after their kids you know so exactly um, <laughs> exactly yeah. so there is yeah. that huge up and down when it comes to seeing social media as sort mm. of a comparison to yourself which is yes insane fantasy world yes yeah. exactly yeah. yeah so thank you so much nicole for joining me on the show today and for talking about breastfeeding and sort of the partner support that goes along with it um if there is a way that audiences would like to get in touch with you to talk about it a little bit more or even to talk about something that I've missed because I know I pretty much have missed something. So is there a way that they're able to get reach, get a hold of you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on this uh, show today. It's been wonderful and hearing your viewpoint as well. Uh, yes, please reach out. I have a website. I'm at uh, Uh, Will this be in the show notes? Yes, this Um, will be down in the description below. So 
uh, NicoleBando.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at NicoleBandoAPD. Uh, and I, I invite you to get in touch. Um, thank you. Perfect. No, I'll definitely have all those links and all those um, hashtags and ads all down in the description below and definitely get away that they can contact you easily because I know that there will be a lot of parents who are wanting to get a hold of you and sort of get knowing a little bit more as to how they can support their partner. So, yes, thank you so much for joining me again today and for taking time out of your day and joining me on the show. It's amazing to see how how often I am amazed at how many people have spare a little bit of time in order to talk about something they're passionate about. And I can definitely see that you're passionate about it. So, so thank it's you, amazing. Dana. I hope it benefits, you know, some new parents or parents-to-be out there. Oh, I will be sending this to pretty much every friend I know that has parent, <laughs> that has kids at the moment. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys Thanks. so much for listening and I will see you all in the next episode. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent and thanks for tuning in.